What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And this is, once again, our Fall of X special, where we delve into Marvel's currently running, not event, but capsulization. It feels like an event. Oh, capsulization. That should be on the cover. It totally should. Whatever it is, it's their line-wide thing happening with the X-Men called Fall of X. I think it's an event. It's not an event. It's it's not an event. It's more a vibe. We talked about this before. Marvel's latest vibe, Fall of X. We are going to be talking about four issues that came out this week. The Invincible Iron Man, number nine, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Juan Fergari. Jean Grey, number one, written by Louise Simonson, art by Bernard Chang. Realm of X, number one, written by Torin Gronbach, art by Diagenes Neves. X-Force, number 43, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Robert Gill. And just a note, Deadpool, number 10, is marked Fall of X, it's literally nothing to do with it. There's nothing going on Fall of X related, so we're going to skip that issue. You're welcome to check it out if you like. But why don't we jump into it by talking about another Jerry Dugan issue. Of course, he is. there's lots of architects behind X, but he's kind of the main guy right now. He's the main so, guy. So Invincible Iron Man, not marked Fall of X, but actually very important to the storyline. Huge, actually. Maybe the yeah. most important right? of this batch, I thought, yeah. So this one is kind of taking us back in time a little bit and showing us immediately after the Hellfire Gala or the next day after the Hellfire Gala, how Tony Stark, what was going on with him. He was taken down by Fei Long, how Fei Long took over his Sentinels. We get to see the relationship between White Queen and Tony Stark develop more as they try to figure out a strategy to fight back against Orcus and Fei Long and all of the other enemies that are raided against us. Leading to a big reveal at the end of the issue, which we kind of knew already from reading other books, but we get confirmation of here that, spoiler, Wilson Fisk is the new White King of the Hellfire Club. So let's talk about this one. What did you think about this one? What were your big takeaways, Justin? Uh, I think this is my favorite of the of the week. Like, I thought this was great, a great emotional story that we don't always see, especially around Tony Stark, um, but also the White Queen. Like... I don't know how real their, quote-unquote, real their relationship is. Um, We have a tease for the next issue that is their wedding. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. But, like, I I buy it. This is, like, has a great romance angle to it. They're going through, like, huge emotional changes here. And they genuinely seem to care for each other. And I like that they're sort of the the dual architects of how – the the mutants who are who are at the Hellfire Club and sort of in the staying in the main part of the United States are going to move forward. So this is great. I thought the art was was fantastic in this issue. Yeah, I agree with you across the board about this. The idea that you're taking these two very rich jerk characters that their whole arcs are slowly getting towards a place where they care about other people more than themselves never would have put the two of them together, but it works so low, so well. And the fact that we are picking up on the apocalyptic events of the Hellfire Gala so that you have, again, these two characters who, like you said, are leaders of their respective factions, Tony's faction basically being him, but also Rhodey, um, and yeah. the Marvel superheroes, the Avengers in a certain aspect as well. But Emma Frost being one of the major leaders behind the X-Men, they're at literally and figuratively their lowest point in the Morlock sewers in this episode. And I thought that was such a good palpable metaphor that Jerry Dugan drew out of here um, to have them people that are usually very buttoned up. Tony Stark, his hair is raggedy. He's sweaty. His clothes are torn. He's 
physically unable to move his arm, I think, most of this issue. Emma Frost is wearing one of those nose bandages that people wear. She's banged up. She's still wearing her clothes from the Hellfire Gala days later in the sewers. So these are two people that are usually like very cleaned up and they are wrecked here. And that's, that's the place that I want to see them in a story like this. Like I want to see them at literally their lowest point so I can see how they fight their way back to the top and everything is arrayed against them. That's great. And the idea that this relationship is real and would carry on, they're sort of bonding at their lowest point and they find out they have a lot in common, maybe in the way that they're feeling, the way they look at the world. That's really exciting to me. I would be fully on board for a uh, Emma Frost, Tony Stark relationship going forward. Is that a crazy dream? I mean, no. I, I do think because it's happening so quickly, we're getting in, I think, the next issue of the X-Men as well as next issue of Iron Man. I think it's probably a fake out type thing. You know, we see yeah. how Emma Frost becomes Hazel Kendall full time, this great disguise that she has that fools so many people. Very Riverdale-esque disguise, like this 100%. one wig's going to do the job. But I mean, he, he gives her a ring here, which is mm-hmm. his um, Iron Man psionic shield. So, you know, all the elements are there. But I've seen people married for less. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm saying is I think it's going to be a fake out thing to fool people where Tony Stark is like, I'm marrying my assistant, Hazel Kendall. Isn't this sweet and wonderful? And then there might be actually sparks of something real there at the same time. So I do think it's going to be a protection of Emma Frost to keep the world's eyes in thinking, oh, she is Hazel Kendall, not Emma Frost. But again, I think we're going to see some experimentation there in terms of how these two work together. Um, Also, I mean, to extend what I was talking about earlier, these are two characters who always take everything on themselves. They're like, well, I'm the only one that can fix this stuff. It's just me. I got plans on plans on plans. And the fact that all of their plans are failed, it's exciting to see how they're going to build one together. And then you get this wrench thrown in immediately. They're like, we'll go to the Hellfire Club. We'll set things up. We'll be back on track. And that Wilson Fisk, who does the same thing and is now back on top of the Hellfire Club, is like, Hello, right there is great. Do you think love triangle, thruple? What are we mm, talking here? The classic X Men. We never got to see Wolverine, Cyclops, and Jean Grey boat on the moon. Maybe we'll get to see the three of them boat in the Hellfire Club. That's what everyone's expecting. In terms um, of the emotional, was, oh, go ahead, Justin. Sorry. No, you go. You go. I was just going to say, in terms of the emotional thing, you were saying the scene of Tony's panic attack was very emotionally drawn, in particular, yeah. like him just drooling from his mouth and sobbing and being held by Emma Frost. It really got me. There's not a lot of comics, particularly mainstream comics, that emotionally get me in this way. And you really felt what he was going through in that scene. Well, and I would I would call out the other side of that. It was this the moment when Emma is like, oh my God, I can't sense my girls. Mm -hmm. And you see him reach and touch her shoulder and then sort of like there's this great panel at the bottom of the page where his hand is he pulls his hand back. He's like, what am I doing? And to me, that's the panel where you're like, oh, maybe this relationship is real. When yeah. he's he notices that he's reaching out and connecting with her. And I love that. I, what a great, just great writing and art combining here to be like, to crystallize a moment so perfectly there. Yeah. Uh, you're going to bring up something else before? The Wilson Fisk of it all. And he, this gets into sort of another issue we're going to talk about. But like, I was like, why is he here? He doesn't make sense. But... 
this week sort of is like the fact that he's appearing and is going to be the, the a character in the Iron Man book actually tracks pretty well. It's still not a natural match to have them mm-hmm. together, but I like him being a power player. Tony Stark's a power player. White Queen's a power player. To have them all sort of uh, working together potentially or being rivals or sharing a common goal I think is cool, especially with Typhoid Mary, his wife, being mixed up very intensely in this event. Yeah, I have to admit this is something that completely passed me by. I didn't realize Typhoid Mary was a mutant, you know, at any point. Like, I just thought she was Well, me neither. And it makes a lot of sense why Mm -hmm. he is now sort of like, well, I'm with this uh, woman. She's a mutant. I'm going to go to the Hellfire Gala. I'm invested here. Because talking about things, relationships that are real, the Kingpin Typhoid Mary relationship is definitely played for real. Like, Mm -hmm. they're both villains and... you know, Typhoid Mary is famously, like, uh, insane, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, it's interesting that they're so so bonded together. But I, I like that. And I like th- these issues that have come out this week as a way of exploring that and tying them into the X universe. Yeah, well, why don't we jump over to Realm of X since we're talking about that a little bit. So this takes a bunch of the characters who walked through the gates, disappeared. Specifically, we're getting Mirage. Typhoid Mary, Magic, Marrow, and then several other characters that don't start with M, Dust, and Curse. And they are all sent to Vanaheim for some reason. We find out it's part of a prophecy that was prophesied hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, maybe. I think thousands in this book. They would come and kick off in a big conflict with a character called the White Witch, shouts out to Chronicles of Dardia. Uh, and Which I've just out, been reading with my kids, so I was oh, like, this there feels go, real. Good time. Yeah. Uh, but then at the end, we find out that that White Witch is other than, again, spoiler here, Saturnine from Otherworld, who I believe we last left at X of Swords as the Omniversal Magistrix, basically like the ruler of all reality and the Captain Britain corpse. Maybe some stuff happened in the intervening time that I missed, but this is a wild swerve to me going from she's a good guy who's kind of like supporting the X-Men here to now she's the villain, seemingly, of the series. So I guess we'll see what happens. I like the I like the move. She's trying to sort of consolidate power. This whole thing felt very Chronicles of Narnia with this character of uh, Curse, mm-hmm. someone who I didn't know about really, and her being the character that's about to be tempted by the White Witch. Uh, I thought was like, and that's obviously uh, fresh in my mind, recency mm-hmm. bias. But I like that as a, a calling on a, a a book that I read a lot when I was a kid. So that's cool. A Curse, very powerful. I also, I assume this is something in one of the X-Men books that we did not read over the past couple of months or years, but I really like her power. The fact that her power is to yell out these curses that basically bend reality, I thought was very neat. And the way that they're used, like, I wish she would turn to stone. Uh, She doesn't say that. Like, they're a little more curse-like, like, like, go home, shouting at that kid, and then he's literally transported home. You useless piles of stone, and then Mm -hmm. they turn into piles of stone. Yeah, very cool. I really like that power a lot. This is a weird assortment of characters to me. I'm not quite sure how they all fit together or why they're here in this series necessarily. That That's the thing that's kind of like a little bit of a hiccup for me in terms of that, because like you said, we get a lot about Mary, Typhoid Mary in particular. She is the rogue element that doesn't want to be involved in anything. We do. There's get, something about Typhoid Mary is what you're uh, saying. 
Exactly. We get a fair amount of magic because her powers don't work in Vanenheim. Um, and the rest of them are kind of just there right now. Like they do stuff, but we don't get a lot inside their heads. Well, let me, yes, I, I agree with that. Um, but let me say, I think that's maybe part of the point here. Because one of the other things I really liked about this is how much of Vanaheim we lay down in the idea that prophecy is something that is almost a, it's their secret power for years. Mm -hmm. They were able to sort of see the future, but it ended up being a curse uh, on them. And they broke away from that. They returned to a simpler life. And that idea, this sort of overarching philosophy of the land is really interesting to me. And then on top of that, there's this this prophecy that these four heroes leaving out magic, interestingly, are there to save the day, but they know that they are randomly assembled here to walk in and find out that there's a very strong statue statues built for them pro- prophesied about their lives when they know that it's random that they're there. I think that's really interesting. And there's a mystery here about why magic isn't involved and what curses role in this is and why should they carry out this prophecy or reject it? And this book having such an underlying big idea is great. It's something that I think a lot of books in a big event like this don't have. So I'm really excited by this book. It did pleasantly remind me of back in the day, there was that New Mutants storyline. I think it was New Mutants and X-Men. They get sent to Asgard and the New Mutants are sort of like fully Asgard and the X-Men, if I remember correctly, are not. They end up um, probably totally misremembering the storyline, but they're sort of like on opposite sides of a war. They're fighting Loki, uh, and it ultimately led to Daddy Moonstar becoming a Valkyrie, which was a big part of her character for a really long time. So I imagine we're going to link back to some of that a little bit. That's also a really, really good story. If you never read it, I think they collected it in a trade called Asgardian Wars, among other things. So... Good stuff. Definitely check that out. Why don't we talk about one of the other ones that's getting us caught up to the present time, X-Force number 43. Now, this, we find out why why Krakoa's protection agency wasn't doing literally anything in the middle of the Hellfire Gala. It's pretty complicated, but I actually think this issue did a really good job. I've not been reading X-Force on getting yeah. you caught up on exactly what's going on here. Basically, Colossus has been corrupted by his brother, who watched the attack the mutants in the middle of the Hellfire Gala. Unfortunately for his brother, and unfortunately for everybody, Orcus attacks instead and throws that plan askew. Meanwhile, Domino is trying to piece together the mystery of what's going on with Colossus and what's wrong with him. Uh, and then we got a bunch of other things going on with a bunch of other characters, including some sort of new status quo with Quentin Quire, which I was not What is that? Aware. And like... I- it's it's on me slash us for not for reading recent yes. issues. So maybe we're just missing it. But I was like, what is this? <laughs> this I was like, oh, this is a different person. But he also has Quentin stuff and all these different skins that he wears, but he doesn't seem to have Quentin's powers. So is it Quentin or is it not? I don't. Yeah, no. we should probably look into this. This is pretty bad for a Fall of X podcast. But basically, if you haven't been reading it as well, it looks like Quentin Choir went through some sort of time travel Nonsense is now an old man with a very long pink beard, but he can wear other skin suits to become other people. He can become Beast. He can become Juggernaut. In this case, he puts on his own younger Quentin Quire suit is what I'm getting from that. But because he is old man Quentin Quire, not young man Quentin Quire, his powers are not working at the same level. We've also got Sage in this book, which is doing a regular Sage coordination stuff. And Deadpool and Omega Red are kind of just there as well to just hang out and have a couple of laughs. 
Yeah, and you know, I I like the this Colossus mystery, mm-hmm. and I like Domino. I'm a big fan of the Colossus Domino relationship from uh, years ago, so I would love to see more of that. But it's just a little confusing what's actually happening here. Um, so I I guess I want to know uh, more about that and where that is going to position us going forward. It's so many of the books had such a reset, and this one was mm-hmm. like, we don't do that. We're just going to sort of run this team through the Hellfire Gala with one of the more gruesome pages of all of the Fall of X in this issue. Wait, which page was that? The... Uh, in the middle, the Nimrod comes through and just like you oh, see a yeah. bunch of bodies torn in half. I was like, oh yo. Please stop showing not. that to me. I I like the art in this issue quite a bit. I agree with you. If you haven't been reading X-Force consistently, this is a tough one to get into. Um, it It's something that I feel like could have used a cleaner reset in terms of, meanwhile, oh, while the Hellfire Gala goes on, this is why they didn't protect them instead of this ongoing storyline. I'm also... I always think about like Colossus is such a punching bag for X-Men writers. And I think it's because he's this good, nice character. I remember back in like, I think it was the two thousands. It was just, how can we take this character that's relatively happy and put him through the ringer on every single front and see how dark we can make his life. And will he come out the other side? I think that was around the like, uh, mutant massacre time when Kitty Pride got turned intangible so he couldn't connect with her. And then I think they killed Magic again or turned her, you know, exiled her to limbo. And then a bunch of other terrible things happened to him. So just, man, I don't know. Leave Colossus alone. Let him have a happy life, please. Yeah, and maybe maybe we will. Um, so I'm I'm looking up the Quentin Choir stuff, and it seems like this has been an, an uh, throughout this X-Force run has been a lot of him sort of growing up. So um, I'm not sure, it doesn't sort of give the, all the details, but I think this has been one of the main running ideas of the X-Force series. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Keep tuning into all of our comic book podcasts for our expert opinions on everything where we have. <laughs> good you know, we up. can't read them all. We can't you know, read them all. There's so many comic books to read. But we In Pokemon, be- it says you got to catch them all, and they don't. They don't ever catch them all. Yeah. Well, no more Pokemon. They're all in the balls that I'm carrying. Last but not least, let's talk about Jean Grey, number one. Now, I thought this was a really – first of all, I really like this issue a lot. I thought this was really good. This is – as far as we can tell, and there's a little bit of a mystery element here, but it's Jean Grey and her dying moments at the Hellfire Gala because she becomes a sexy skeleton with hair. She mm. – is picturing where she went wrong and trying to figure it out. And so in this first issue, as her memories explode apart in death, she thinks, okay, where is one place where it went wrong and it could have gone right? And that place goes back to Brian Michael Bendis' run where he took the X-Men, the younger X-Men, out of time before they'd even fought Magneto, I believe, for the first time, took them to the present, had them there for a while, and then ultimately when they're sent back in time, they had those memories wiped so that the continuity worked. So what Jean Grey is like, what if we didn't do that? What if we instead tried to keep our memories and do it better this time? And so the entire issue is her clenching harder and harder on how can we solve this? How can we solve these problems? How can we make evil mutants good? How can we make the world like us? And it goes horribly wrong. You know, we have this currently running dark what if thing happening in yeah. marvel this does a better job of this that than any dark what if issue i love this 
Yeah, I agree. To to do this series that is like a series of what ifs focused on one character is such a smart uh, way of doing it. It also, I think, harkens back in a great way to where the Krakoan era began. And we got uh, so much of Moira experimenting with like mm-hmm. worlds and trying to find the best world. And this is like sort of the opposite. It's Jean Grey experimenting with her X world and finding the points where she could have deviated and made a bunch of wrong choices. So that's that I love that the, we're pushing forward, but also hearkening back at the same time. Really great writing stuff by um, Louise Simonson. Very cool. Great art by Bernard Chang. I love the idea that where Jean Grey is going to come out at the end of this. I don't think she's just going to die. Part of this book is sort of <laughs> teasing that she's dealt with death a million times before and it's just going to like flip a switch and, you know, grow back uh, her skin on that sexy skeleton that you keep mentioning. Mm hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I also, just from a publishing perspective, really love the idea that they've been doing these nostalgia books. Like they get nothing against age or anything, like, but these older teams or these more classic teams to tackle the same yeah. titles again. Louise Simonson, of course, iconic writing the X Men. But this is both a nostalgia book and also the, something that ties very heavily into current continuity. And that's such. Such a great thing to do. I love mixing those two flavors together and figuring out how it comes out. This really is one of the best things I think I've read read from Louise Simonson in years. Like you mentioned, yeah. Bernard Chang's art in here is so good. There are so okay. many – there's a layout of Jean Grey's memories fracturing apart that's really impressive towards the beginning of the yeah. book. That lays up – just to describe it, lays out a lot of her history. Um, mm-hmm. If This is a great book if you are into Fall of X but want uh, an entry point that is a little less current continuity-based and you want to mm-hmm. just read some classic X stuff. This is a nice book to, to walk into that with. Absolutely. Uh, so there you go. That's this week's Fall of X books. To look ahead in the reading order, or as my son likes to say, here's what's next on Fall of X. We've actually yeah. got a light week coming up. I believe Wolverine number 36 is coming out, which doesn't tie yep. to Fall of X. That's continuing the Weapons and Vengeance storyline. But the big one that is coming out that weirdly is not mentioned in the reading order in the back of any of these books, as far as I can tell. It is in one of them. It's strange to me that the reading order so is weird. actually different in different books. Yeah, that's uh, not confusing at all. I'm glad they do that. But it's not in Jean Grey, but it is in the um, Realms of X. Okay. Is uh, Miss Marvel is- the New Mutant number one? This is the kickoff of a four-issue miniseries co-written by Amon Vellani, who plays Miss Marvel on TV, as well as one of the writers for the Miss Marvel TV show. And it is going to explore Miss Marvel's new status quo as both an inhuman and a mutant. Um, yeah, should should be interesting. Yeah, it feels like this is maybe the little bit of a rest week, but that's going to be a big book. But then after that, we get into just some hits after hits with Mortal X-Men, the main X-Men book, Uncanny Spider-Man. And then mm-hmm. we get into the the next issues of all the books we talked about in this uh, breakout podcast. So like very, very exciting. I like that starting to take in the event as a whole. feels like we're getting just a lot of different little flavors. It's like a, mm-hmm. a buffet, an exactly. X, a, a sad buffet. <laughs> exactly, a buffet of sadness. 
If you would like to support our buffet of sadness, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Fall of X, Apple, Spotify, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, at Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, Gene Gray, hope you make it back, buddy. Just when you're using the Buffet of Sadness, make sure you stay behind the sneeze guard of tragedy. Mm -hmm. And in a way, aren't we all sexy skeletons with hair? Ah, beautiful. Beautiful.